Become solely focused on other people's problems. You can find that by asking questions. At some point, when you uncover enough pain points and you overlap that not just with your skill set, but where the viable directions are, when you lay those things over one another, your skill set, economic viability, and other people's need and demand, that's where business opportunity lies. So it starts with really thoughtfully considering the problems of another. Welcome to Thriving United. If you're an innovator, an entrepreneur, or someone who relentlessly pursues success, this is the place for you. I'm your host, Gregory Alexander, discussing how to grind, grow, and succeed as an entrepreneur. You only have one life, so live it. I invite you to build something bigger than yourself, to create value and change the lives of others to ultimately change the world. With that said, let's thrive. What is up, Thrivers? I'm your host, Gregory Alexander, and joining me today is Aaron Watson. Aaron is a leader with a passion to create value for others. He's the co-founder and CEO of Piper Creatives, a marketing agency that provides documentary as a service. This takes form of professionally produced podcasts and blogs for other businesses. Aaron is the host of the Going Deeper with Aaron Watson podcast, a podcast that has over 100,000 downloads in over 120 countries, and is a master in the medium of content creation that is near and dear to my heart. I am honored to welcome him to the show today. Aaron, welcome to Thriving United. How are you doing today? I am excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. That's great to hear. So if you will, please introduce yourself to the audience and tell us what you do, anything that I missed. Um, you covered it really well. I'm the founder of Piper Creative. In addition to helping our clients with vlogs, which we call documentary as a service, LinkedIn video, and podcasts, we also run an event annually called the Going Deep Summit, uh, which is a, a built off of the success of my podcast, Going Deep with Aaron Watson, and is really optimized for innovators, strivers, entrepreneurs, probably precisely the people that listen to this podcast. And um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a space, it's a single day where everyone is just trying to level up. So that's what I'm all about. Those are the pe uh, people that I have on my show. Uh, it's the type of people that listen to my show. It's the type of clients that we work with. Uh, anyone who is content with the status quo tends to not really vibe with what we're doing. I love it. Well, I can't wait to dive deeper into all of that. So I would love for you to share your story. Uh, how did you end up founding Piper Creative on a specific ways? Awesome. So I, w I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh uh, without any options that were enticing to me. I had done everything right, internship, graduate in four years, bang in resume, um, this, that, and the other thing, and just was not really... Uh, you know, kind of saw the options that seemed to be laid before me. And I was like, is this really it? And the podcast going deep, which is now more than three and a half years old, and you rattled off all those juicy statistics, um, is an exploration of the people doing the interesting work in these careers. So whether you're the mayor of a city, the founder of a $120 million startup, the founder of a national nonprofit that saves millions of pounds of food. Um, there's all these interesting characters around us, among us, that we don't necessarily get the stories of. And yet, the Career Resource Center would be much more of a resource if it was sharing the stories, the strategies of the people in that space so that other people won't necessarily emulate them step for step, but learn the patterns of the people who really get into that interesting work. Gotcha. Um, the, the podcast led to Piper Creative um, because after doing the first Going Deep Summit, I had effectively proven both to others, but really actually interestingly more so to myself, that I had a capacity to move people to action primarily through the creation of digital media. And once you have that skill set and you can prove it, you can then sell that skill set skill set to others uh, in the form of the productized services that we've developed for our clients and to some degree really act as counselors and consultants for them on the best practices because it, what's so interesting is outside of 
the just actual strategy of your business, pure and simple, the marketing strategy is as it is as central as core to what your business is as just about anything. If you're if you're a high technology company, then the technological solution that you're developing is is going to be the core. But outside of that, most businesses are reliant upon their ability to, to generate demand. And sometimes if you've run a plumbing business for 30 years, you have a sterling reputation, you have a big base of clients, you can run off of the momentum of that and continue to run a nice little business for a very long time. But what our skill set is really geared for, much like I talked about a little bit earlier in this conversation, is those people that want to level up, they want to take it to the next level and they need to inject a new strategy or a new way of thinking or a new philosophy into their day-to-day operations in order to get different results. Awesome. So will you just lay out a in an abstract way uh, the mission of Piper Creative? The mission of Piper Creative is to... So, so the, what's interesting is that there's an internal and an external lens through which to look at that. Internally, we are trying to become the best storytellers on the planet. And that is not just in the aesthetics of the story that we tell or the copy or the actual frame of it. It's across the board. We want to be world-class storytellers and we're developing internal processes by which we build that skill set and we also recognize that there is no one single greatest storyteller ever because while i am clearly uh articulate and i understand audio and i like speaking in the way that i am right now i have i can't hold a candle to my co-founder and chief creative officer hannah who is an absolute absolutely stunning visual media artist. I can't even edit the thumbnail on a YouTube video to 10% as good as she can. So forget it if we're trying to produce an eight-minute video or some form of graphical representation of a story that we're trying to tell. But as we develop that internally and we train other people, not just on the philosophy, but the actual technical execution of that storytelling, we can then deploy that for our clients, for the market, for other products that we might develop. And what's really interesting is given our philosophy, which really centers on creating a high quantity of content and doing it in a transparent way, we tend to attract people with great stories. Because if you're defrauding clients or doing backroom shady deals, you don't really want that transparency. You don't really want that kind of constant public presence. And there's a a time and a place where that's not necessarily appropriate. But for the clients that get attracted to the skill set that we're developing, these people tend to have amazing stories just waiting to be unpacked and unlocked. For example, uh, there's an amazing organization that we work with called Zero Model. Everyone can go to zeromodel.com, check them out. But basically, it was founded by a man named Dan. And Dan is an ex-convict. He went away for securities fraud for multiple years. And upon emerging, he realized how impossible it was to get an opportunity to contribute to society, to work, to have uh, not just an income, but but a, a job with purpose for anyone with a criminal history. And so he founded Zero Model, uh, actually originally called 068, which is the federal penitentiary number, number that if you're from the Pittsburgh area, uh, you'll have as your kind of number when you're in this prison system as a way of identifying Uh, for other convicts that they have a family and a community outside of prison once they reintegrate with society, but built this business that puts them to work, that recognizes that these are people that are so hungry for a second chance that if you actually hire someone with a criminal history, they're more likely to stick with you. They're more likely to not just jump to the next job in 18 months as is becoming increasingly common in the modern economy. And as you can see, like this is a fascinating story, but he has real stories of what it's like to, you know, in the course of doing business, sometimes, um, you know, simple little mistakes are made. And where I, and I'm sure you, Greg, get the, the privilege of the benefit of the doubt and a second chance, like it's nothing. Him and the people that work with him do not get second chances. They don't get the benefit of the doubt. They have all these interesting 
experiences and a perspective that's almost impossible to replicate. And what we get to do as their partners is help them unleash that story. We're the creative infrastructure, but it's their stories. We're just there to help package it, to help with the messaging, to help with how it's presented, and that it's on the right platform at the right time. Wow, that is incredibly interesting. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. So I love that you're touching on the story part of it. And that's why I was so happy to get to speak with you and hear more of your story. And relating that back to like uh, criminals and things of nature, obviously, they made huge mistakes um, at some point or another. But we all do that um, to different degrees. But what would be, I guess, your biggest failure or mistake so far in your entrepreneurial journey? Oh, wow. Um... (laughs) There's, there's too many to count. Um, I mean, some of my biggest mistakes are basically like the first 30 episodes of my podcast. They're garbage. They're not, and not for the fault of any of the guests that agreed to come on, but I didn't know what I was doing. I was completely uh, mechanical. I didn't know the first thing about audio editing or mic technique or anything uh, that would have made it a listenable experience. I can't believe that anyone has listened to those episodes. And um, so, so like that's a, a perfect example of I probably greatly inhibited my growth through not knowing what I was doing and, and promoting it like with all my energy, despite the fact that it was uh, garbage. So that I think, I think a meta lesson there might be, you need to put all of your promotional efforts against your best stuff, against stuff that really is good, because you can actually lose some credibility and some trust by putting something out. Not, not that you put something out into the world that's not very good and you lose credibility, but by putting all your promotional efforts behind it, um, that is uh, something of a risk. I don't think it's catastrophic. It obviously hasn't been so for me. And then another mistake I would say that I made, and this is only at the very earliest part of my career, I'm lucky to have figured this out relatively quickly, is that you should never, ever put yourself in a position where you are selling something that you don't believe in. Now, I can empathize with people. Uh, There's student loans out there. There are other extenuating circumstances where you might need to support your family and you just need the money. You need it in your pocket today. I can empathize with that. But a majority of the time, if you are in a position where you have any sort of optionality, always err in the side of selling something that you firmly believe in. And that, like the extreme example of that is the Theranos thing that's blowing up. I'm reading the book right now, Bad Blood, and the documentary is coming out of someone who was selling a technology that was just utterly fraudulent. But even in a, in a more micro sense, if, if you're looking at someone and trying to get them to buy something because it's about your bottom line as opposed to it being about their best interests, um, I, I start off in financial services. There's a high, high incentive structure for you to go in that direction. I, I did not last there very long, but I, I mean, it was kind of momentum that got me there in the first place. And once you start recognizing that, um, you know, I, I see other people who are optimizing for their salary, for their dollar, for their uh, bank account and not putting a ton of thought into the the products that they may be selling. And I think that if everyone was able to align more in that direction, not only would the world be a better place, but there's all sorts of downstream effects. You're going to sleep better. You're going to take better care of yourself if you really feel like you're doing work with a mission. And I'm very, very lucky to be in a position like that right now. The summit something that I believe in immensely. I've been greatly impacted by events like uh, DLD and Next Gen Summit and Thrival and South by Southwest. Like I've gone to all these places, learned things, gotten my thinking to a new level. And that's what I'm trying to do trying to deliver to other people. Um, As you can already tell from the work that Piper's doing for clients, I believe deeply in the mission of what we're doing, our capacity to deliver on our promises and the impact that it can have. And so that is um, exceedingly rare for most people. Most people don't have uh, aren't lucky enough to be in a situation to, uh, as as I find myself these days. But I think everyone can make strides to move more in that direction. And I think that there's going to be immense positive downstream effects of that, most of which you can't even anticipate until you're in it. I would love to tie that back into, I guess, the genesis of 
your podcast, uh, aligning yourself with something that you're truly passionate about and where you can be genuine and authentic um, and go to bed at night feeling passionate about something and knowing your work matters. Uh, what did that look like when you were starting out your podcast? First of all, like why did you decide to start it? What prompted you to start that? And how did that process unfold? Um, how did you figure out like what audio uh, software to use or the, what, who the people were that you wanted to interview first um, to get the whole general idea of what your podcast wanted to be about in the first place? What did that look like? Well, in terms of why the start, it was the need to get around people doing the interesting stuff. Fundamentally, like you can read an article or you can do whatever, but I want to I want to get in the same room with these people. I want to see how they operate. For example, I just interviewed um, the president of Robert Morris. He's a Rhodes Scholar. He is an Air Force veteran. He is one of the most widely read human beings I've ever come into contact with. And more so than anything else, he has deep gravitas. I've, I've never even experienced anything like it until I was in the room with Dr. Chris Howard. And I am literally forever changed for having spent the 45 minutes together that we did. And there's no substitute for that. It's it's that idea that like, would you still, if you were never paid for it, would you still do the work? Absolutely. Because the amount of growth that I got from the hour or, you know, probably an hour plus with travel or whatever, but the the 45 minutes that I spent with him and I've done this, you know, dozens of times now. I've internalized how these people operate and steal little aspects of it so that I can emulate that in my own work. Um, as for the um, building the skills as a podcaster, it was slow. It was hard. And the the one aspect of when you're starting something off, it's really interesting, is that instead of um, like what most people fear if they press publish for the first time or they start something like a new podcast or a new YouTube channel is that like, oh, you're going to like face this backlash or negative feedback or whatever. And what's what actually happens is you just get nothing. It's even more disconcerting because you get no feedback positively or negatively any way, shape or form. And it's, um, it's really hard to improve when you're not getting any feedback. I was lucky enough. I mean, this is kind of the other side of what I said earlier, but because I was promoting it so hard, I had people come back to me and be like, that was borderline unlistenable. You realize that like the two voices are completely unbalanced. And so then it's as simple as, you know, YouTube, how to balance an audio track. Or I, I had another podcaster on my show and uh, he listened to the podcast and sent the file back and was like, yo, this is, um, you know, you need to, you need to, balance the levels of your show. And um, it, 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 there's no substitute for the work of iterating on your approach. And the approach that I had on a more macro level was the same that I took when I played Ultimate Frisbee, which was just to work harder than anyone else. If most people do a weekly show, I'm going to do two episodes per week. I'm going to get more reps at being the interviewer, at being the editor, at being the publisher, at being the distributor of this show so that my feedback loop gets a little bit shorter. I grow a little bit faster. And over a long time horizon, my skill set's going to be completely differentiated. That's the same thing that you can do. That's the same thing that anyone out there listening can do is get more reps than the competition. And there's like, you know, someone can really sit down with you. Maybe you hire a coach, maybe you hire a consultant to like come in and just try to shortcut your knowledge base and point out, you know, eight things that can immediately be worked on that you were otherwise blind to, um, things that you are unconsciously incompetent at. Uh, but the other way to get there, if you don't have the budget or the funding or the opportunity to do so, is to continue to get the reps. And as you get the reps of not just working on your own thing, but studying the other greats, um, seeing where the discrepancies lie, become consciously aware of where your incompetence is. And then, you know, there's never been a better time to turn an incompetency into a competency. We, we all have different physical or genetic limitations, but in reality, between YouTube, between the the access to books that Amazon provides, between um, all the other forms of information technology out there, you have the ability to learn what you need to learn. You have the ability to gain the knowledge that you need to take your game to the next level, and you just have to put in the work to go do it. That was so well said. I can completely relate to that on so many levels, uh, being just starting out a podcast for myself. It's only a few months into it. And so there are times when 
different things can be discouraging. Uh, like you said, dis, uh, like where there is no feedback at all. And I've had to grapple with that and work through that. But I love the fact that you iterated reaching out to people, but uh, looking at uh, other people's works and putting yourself in the, their shoes and grabbing little bits and pieces of the people you interact with to grow your skill set and become more competent in your work. I think that is absolutely beautiful. Well said. So what is the biggest benefit that you've gained so far by podcasting? I know you've touched on a lot of that, but uh, I just wanted to ask that question and see if there's anything that you haven't said so far. So the, the other aspect of it is the network that you build. So I started off, and I think for the first 150 episodes or so, I was prime, not primarily, but like maybe 60% of the time doing uh, digital interviews where I was calling someone with a telecommunications uh, software solution like Zencaster. And while I had some really good conversations, I was not only kind of like all over the place, like I would interview a finance guy in Denver, and then I would interview, um, you know, some entrepreneur in Australia and this, that, and the other thing. I, I honed in on Pittsburgh, which is where I'm from, which is where I grew up, and just completely doubled down on in-person interviews. And what has come of that is an a genuinely unparalleled network in this city. Um, there are a ton of people, both entrepreneurs, nonprofit founders, other leaders, just characters in general that I am connected with, that I can call upon. And those that's like kind of that downstream, um, hard to predict effect of building a network. And, you know, cliches like your network is your net worth are not wrong. And it is the type of thing where when we launched Piper inbound day one, we had three clients that let me, I'll say that again. We announced Piper on Monday, February 26th. By the end of the 26th, we had three different emails or Instagram DMs or messages inbound saying, I want to work with you guys. I want this service offering. Let's go. Wow. That is awesome. Like, that, like that's precisely yeah, that what you want as an entrepreneur. And it's surreal when it happens. Like I didn't predict that. I didn't know when we launched, oh, that would be the case, but that's what happened. And that's only because of the preceding two and a half years of work and goodwill and network that we had built so that we could get three clients out the gates. So that is, um, that is, you know, the, the big unheralded, uh, part in terms of, things that I've previously discussed related to the podcast. And that is, to me, the biggest argument for you doing what you're doing, Greg, anyone else out there creating content to some degree. Uh, a lot of people kind of think about it very myopically and say, well, it's because of the audience. It's because I can be an influencer and I can sell you know, shitty tea. Can I swear on this? I apologize. Yeah, no, go ahead. <laughs> um, I can sell tea to people that I don't believe in and I've only tasted twice, but get my like bank account filled by uh, an Instagram post or two. It's really, it's really not about that. That's actually, um, you know, not only just phenomenally hard to accomplish from a scale standpoint, but just not even like the optimal path in my humble estimation. And so the network that you build, the amount of connections that you can have when you're creating content that isn't uh, egocentric. It's not, you know, here's my tips today. Here's my thing today, but very focused on others. Very, you know, like you're doing it. It's what I do with my show. I'm packaging these other people's stories. Dr. Chris Howard from Robert Morris University has absolutely no uh, real poignant need to start a podcast. I still think he would benefit from it. I still think it's a good idea, but he doesn't necessarily have the time or the real will to do so, but I can package his story. I can ask the questions that I have, but then also benefit from being the person that sh that made the effort to go package that story. So I, I just think it's immensely valuable. I love that. I love it, man. So at what point did you decide to start the Going Deeper Summit? Because I think I'm um, tying that back into networking. Uh, I think that's a huge uh, hub for networking to occur. Uh, what is the overarching reason behind the summit? Well, I just love the, I call it the aspirational class. It's not like exclusively the founders of companies, but it's you know the people that start nonprofits. It's the people that uh, lead in public office. It's the people that maybe work in a startup or are the rabble rouser in a large corporation. Um, that's something that I've had to come around and learn is, you know, there's uh, a good friend of mine, Tony Murphy. She's a VP at Comcast. 
And not only is it not, not that this is even the key metric, but it's one of the most popular episodes of my podcast I've ever done. And she has an army of people that are mentored by her, that love her, that have gained so much from their experience working with her. And I just love those types of people. I love their stories, but I just love the energy that they put out into the world. And so the summit is a manifestation of my desire to have more of that in my life, but also to create it in other people's lives. And you know, the, the best, um, the best testimonial that I could get that I've gotten from the first summit is uh, from someone here in Pittsburgh. He literally said, at the Going Deep Summit in 2018 is where I found my tribe. And that is, you know, if you read Seth Godin, that's exactly what you want to do as a marketer and a community builder. But even more viscerally, on a, on a more kind of core level, there, there's all this stuff about how lonely we are and how much these digital devices divide us and, and separate us as opposed to bringing us together. And I don't buy that it is just a purely divisive force. I think it's a tool and you choose to use it in the way that best fits you. And what the summit represents is my capacity and all our capacities to use these digital devices, to use this digital media, to bring people together so that we can grow together and find other people that are like us, that, uh, that we connect with. And that's why I did it. Um, I, you know, it's a nice, like I said, proof of my abilities as a marketer and a business person. But at its core, that's why we're doing it. Great. So, if there, so for my listeners out there, uh, if they were interested in joining the next one or being a part of that, what should they be doing? Um, they can either go to goingdeepwitharon.com/event, or they can Google the Going Deep Summit on Google or YouTube. Uh, on YouTube, we have all the keynotes from the first one up there. Um, Ed Lattimore's talk has done really, really well in just one year. And um, I, I, you know, we don't have the date. Uh, the, the next one is March 23rd. I'm not sure exactly when this podcast will go live, uh, but obviously would love to have everyone there. But even if you can't make that one, stay in tune, get on our mailing list, um, follow me on any social platform. It's the thing that I, I, I won't post about it, like obviously in a couple months, but uh, posting about it all the time now, you, you won't possibly be able to avoid it if uh, you're following me somewhere. Awesome. So I want to return back to Piper Creative just a little bit. Sure. Uh, looking at the entrepreneurial side of things, at what point did the idea of Piper just click in your head that that was an opportunity, a hole in the market that needed to be filled um, and that you were just going to take it? This is one of my best stories. I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you asked. So I was in Southeast Asia in 2017 and I was walking back from the grocery store. My girlfriend and I were living in Chiang Mai, Thailand for like a five, five, six week period and listening to a podcast. I think it was like the A16Z podcast, but it had nothing to do with this topic. Um, I was just kind of mind wandering as you do when you walk. And like a bolt of lightning, the idea for, uh, I didn't know it was Piper at the time, but for this company came to me and it was fundamentally predicated on the idea that more companies than ever will have to produce content at scale to be relevant. They have to do it. And a lot of firms realize this, a couple of them are figuring it out and there's plenty that still haven't figured this out yet, but Basically, no one is creating enough quantity of content and uh, the services that we offer take the form of being a solution to that problem. Audio in the form of podcast production, video in the form of LinkedIn video and vlogs. And when, as that idea struck me, I rushed home. I was a sweaty mess, scared my girlfriend Ashley, Ashley half to death uh, <laughs> with my excitement, but I sat on it for a year. And when I say sat on it, uh, we were traveling. It wasn't the time to execute on it. And then I wanted to get the summit under my belt so that I had more um, kind of proof of my abilities. And I think about, uh, so if we launched in February of 2018, I asked Hannah if she liked the idea in August of 2017. She did. She got it in like three seconds, not even three seconds, like one second, which was, which is such a cool feeling because when you are a true entrepreneur and you're really bringing a brand new idea of sorts um, into the world, 
it, it, you feel a little crazy, you feel a little out there because a lot of people do not get it. And there's people that I've had five conversations with it who still don't really get what I'm doing. Like I, you know, some of my parents, old friends, um, and it's not because they're old, it's just they're not in the world of, of media and marketing. I've, I think I've explained it to them like four different times. And each time, like the way you know that someone knows what you're talking about is because of like the follow-up question that they ask. And the follow-up questions are never really like, on the pulse of what's going on so you know you can kind of like laugh or snicker at that but it's actually really disconcerting when your idea is brand new and you're not sure like if it's valid and if it's viable and so to have her as the person that i she was the first person that i could imagine partnering with on it the first person you know i needed her skill set to complement mine for her to get it in like one second was this equally magical moment to the first time that I had the idea where, you know, you just recognize that like, okay, this, this can happen. Like this can really go. So told about her in August, she asked about it again, in like November, or I think it was November when I saw her and I still just wasn't ready as, you know, after the summit. And then I think a week after the summit in 2018, uh, asked her to be my co-founder. She said, yes. Um, and from that point forward, we've been cranking on it. I love that you brought up the viability of the product because I want to know more about uh, what did the process of starting Piper look like in terms of financials? Uh, did you write out a business plan and do thorough market research and segmentation? Uh, what did that look like? No, um, it was it was all gut. It was all like, you know, so, so to take things back to a little bit more of my roots, I played ultimate Frisbee. I've always been an athlete, won two national championships at Pitt and played semi-professionally for the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds. It's where Hannah and I actually met. And a lot of like, while there's, you know, the data of like high percentage versus low percentage throws and best practices, like the best defenders are playing off of instinct. They can, they have a sense for where people want to go. They have a sense for what's coming next. And that's always been a big part of my game. It's something that I've learned to trust. I've learned to trust my gut and even more so since Piper's been created. But I just knew in my gut that this is something more people would need, that there was an appetite for. And there, there was no like, you know, immense business plan. I wrote up the three service offerings that I wanted to provide. And I, I had an idea of what the price would be. All of our prices were way too low off the start. Our most popular service offering, which is LinkedIn video right now, has actually wasn't even one of our initial service offerings. And we had to raise the price on that shortly after adding it as a service offering. So you don't know. And I, you know, I've, I've been sent business plans before. They're like 20 pages. And, you know, I, I guess I can understand why that makes sense in certain specific industries, particularly where there's like a lot of licensure and regulation and other things like that. But marketing is basically, um, you know, it's up there for the most unregulated of uh, industries. And regardless, I think that if you can't paint the vision in a very concise way, um, it's going to be very you know, I, I'm skeptical of anyone who can't concisely explain what it is that they're doing outside of, once again, the high technology companies. They're, they're a little bit different. They're a little bit more specific. Um, we, we came with with our guts. We came with a vision and we moved very quickly. I love that you brought up uh, the gut and the intuition aspect of things. I actually got the pleasure of speaking with Hannah a few days back, and that was a huge component of her uh, of her, the way she operates and uh, looks at things in life. And I want you to touch on this a little bit uh, because not everybody is necessarily so in line with their gut instinct. Uh, how do you get over that and trust yourself uh, in certain, certain situations? I mean, it's, it's really hard one through experience. Like I think this is actually really interestingly tied into like imposter syndrome. And one of the questions I always get is like, I, you know, I, I want to create content. I don't even know what to do. Like, I don't know what to say. And I think that's actually a very reasonable kind of like, that's actually your gut talking most of the time because you tell yourself, I don't actually know anything. Like, like, I don't, I don't know how to provide value. Um, and I, I, I empathize with that deeply and I only speak to the things that through experience I'm fairly confident I know about. And if someone proves me wrong, like I had a, I had a vision for what the opening statement at the first, or I'm sorry, at this next summit will be. And I, you know, shared it with Hannah and Tori, our director of operations. And 
they were like, I don't like that at all. Like, that's not a good idea. So like I was following my gut with what I thought we would start off with. And as soon as I got the feedback from two of the people that I trust the most, that they weren't vibing with it, done, out the window, gone, see ya. So just because I I was following my gut and they rebuffed it doesn't mean that I won't follow it again, but my gut and my head get a little bit smarter through an experience like that. So very similarly, like, you know, I talk about marketing, I talk about media, I talk about leadership, I talk about sports, because those are the things that I've been doing for, um, you know, at a minimum three, in some cases, you know, multiple decades. I don't, I don't, you know, even the way I've spoke about technology, high technology, like I don't, I don't really understand servers and, you know, code and all that stuff. I don't, I don't spend any time speaking about that. And so when it comes to trusting my gut, we're finely tuned beings for that. Like we're, we're biologically evolved over millennia to have a sense for the people in our lives and who to trust because it used to literally be a matter of life and death. And if you're in an environment now and all the people uh, in a business deal or wh- whatever it may be are kind of throwing you off and, and fe- you're feeling uncomfortable. And I say feeling, not thinking uncomfortable. You're feeling uncomfortable. Trust that. Like, like your body is on your side. If there's anything in this world that is guaranteed to be on your side, it is your body. It, it wants what's best for you. It wants to continue on. There are times where you have to retrain it. There are times where you have to, um, you know, through experience, reorient its signals. But compared to anything else, your body has the highest um, fidelity in terms of doing what's and wanting what's best for you. So uh, what was your childhood like because i want to i'm gonna see how well i can connect this back to it uh what was your childhood like specifically uh in your household your uh, the way your parents parented you um your educational experience uh we share a little bit how that's turned you into the person you are today um you don't have to necessarily relate it it back to uh following your gut and how you're so in tune with that but um who why you are the way you are today um so my parents are together. They got married a year before I was born. I was their only child. And what my mom did exceptionally well is she listened to me. I think that's why I'm an above average communicator. In addition to whatever kind of natural gifts came to me through the genetic lottery, um, you know, every day after school, I had to call her and I had to tell her about my day. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't skip over stuff. She would ask questions if I was short and it, it was, I was in real trouble if I didn't call her after I got home for not just the reasons of, you know, telling her about my day, but also just like the safety of it. Um, so that's contributed to my skills as a communicator and both of my parents are, I don't want to say the like people that made it out because that makes their childhood sound a little more dire than it actually was. But they both came from lower middle class, um, you know, lower socioeconomic statuses to really upper middle class, like about as about as squarely on the nose as you can hit the peg of the American dream. And so for both of them, they are tireless workers. They're incredibly thoughtful. They're uh, devout religious, um, you know, members of their community, giving back, volunteering. And I was always, you know, I've been gifted once again genetically with some smarts, but I was always praised for my kindness and my work ethic. And the work ethic, when it did falter, which always happens at points in your in your childhood, um, I was always you know pushed on that front as opposed to like making a dumb decision um a a dumb decision was more quickly forgiven an unkind decision was very 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 slowly forgiven if ever um but but the choice to work hard at something the celebration of the things that took the most work uh were, were thoroughly embedded in my psyche and that opened the door for um, the, the person that I've become today. I'm immensely, immensely grateful for the parents that I was lucky enough to have. Um, I do not, by any stretch of the imagination, take that lightly. And uh, it's something that I, I don't, I wish I had a better solution for how to inject into more people's lives. Because I think having two amazing parents 
is the ultimate life hack. So this might be a difficult question for you to ask. If you could go back in time, what would you tell your younger self to do differently uh, from the knowledge you now have? I would push my younger self to take more chances. Um, I think that that's something that's really going to change over the next, I would say like 20 to 30 years is the macro conversation around risk and what is actually risky versus not. Um, you know, a book like Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb had a, an immense impact on me, but I, I think that people don't really appreciate how resilient they are, but also just they, they completely um, miscalculate the downside risk of going and doing something. Um, there are things that are have real, real downside risk. Like if you go rob uh, a bank or a convenience store tomorrow, you're going to get arrested. You're going to go to jail for a while. You definitely, definitely shouldn't do that. But back to like our kind of biological wiring, um, there's times where taking a risk activates your adrenaline and makes you nervous and you decide not to do it because you're equating something with some risk with something that is like catastrophically risky. And the more you take small, uh, small kind of asymmetric risks, which are risks with high upside and kind of um, capped downside, you will not only become more resilient, but you'll just have access to more upside than most people do. The people that take the safe route, the people that take, um, you know, the traditional well-worn path, they get the benefit of having the lowest downside risk. At least that's how they perceive it. And they don't get access to the upside that the people willing to take on more risk um, choose to do. So, you know, one of my favorite examples of that is Elon Musk has the story where he lived on a dollar a day for food. So for one month, he could only spend one dollar each day on food. And I think he I don't remember if he ate eggs or fruit cups or like what it was, but he just went to like Costco or something and bought like two big bulk packages of like the core you know, protein and carbs that he needed and drank water. And he did that and it proved to him, he's like, okay, this is bottoming out. Like $30 a month for food in America is about as bad as it gets. You, you know, there are food banks or other solutions there that you don't want to necessarily um, rely upon. But I can live on $30 a month of food. It's not the most nutritionally, nutritionally uh, uh, proficient diet, but I can survive on it. And I can probably crash on a friend's couch and like, what other expenses are there? And when you realize how little damage the downside a lot of these risks are, it makes you more confident to take the stuff with the upside and the upside's where all the action's at. I want to throw out another example here and that's just coming to mind to me. And that is simply when you are meeting a new person for the first time, whether that be a potential relationship, a romantic relationship partner or a business partner uh, or an employer or whoever, uh, I think we tend to, as human beings, to irrationally rationalize um, the consequences of our actions. Um, and most of the time, the worst possible scenario is someone says no. Uh, and I want to t piggyback on that and say, okay, for people that have uh, learn to uh, weigh the pros and cons of taking certain actions and have really understood the real risk associated with that and realize that it isn't as bad as they once thought um, once they've gotten over that fear um, and they're ready to get started maybe to build their own business venture what is the first step that they should take become solely focused on other people's problems um, you can find that by asking questions you can find that actually really by just listening intently um, the more intently you listen, the more kind of thoughtful questions that you ask, you'll understand where other people's pain points are and you won't be able to solve every pain point. But at some point when you uncover enough pain points, problems, um, issues, and you overlap that not just with your skill set, but where um, as you, you know, learn more about business, learn where the uh economically viable directions are when you lay those things over one another your skill set excuse me economic viability and other people's need and demand that's where business opportunity lies so it, it starts with really thoughtfully considering the problems of another okay awesome thank you for that so did you always consider yourself to be of an entrepreneurial uh 
spirit or what did you want to become or what did you did you have any inkling of a um idea of what you wanted to do when you were um in your early childhood and what was that what would that be i thought i was going to be a professional athlete i thought i was going to be a a quarterback or a point guard or, or some sort of professional athlete okay so did you ever distinctly uh have a point in time where you said, I want to be an entrepreneur or did that just kind of manifest itself? I had a moment when I was on the job hunt my senior year at college where my dad basically said something to the effect of, I hope that Aaron, you know, I'm really proud of you. Uh, you know, I've, I see all the work that you're putting in to try to find the job after school. And, you know, as you kind of chart your course in the professional world, I hope that you'll be a little bit smarter than me and do something more entrepreneurial. And for a man who, as I mentioned before, was like the dude who made it, American dream, everything right, to say, hey, son, you can be better than me. You can be smarter than me. You can take things to the next level, Um, which is like, you know, that's down to the core narrative that I experienced. Both my parents are like the ones that made the most of what they had. They leveled up. They took things to the next level. My opportunity to do that was through being more entrepreneurial, but I had no idea what that meant. So that's, you know, back to the genesis of the podcast. I had to go ask 200 entrepreneurs everything I could uh, learn about how they operate and what they do so that I could start to relearn those meta patterns because no one in my family is entrepreneurial. I didn't even know that that was an option until I was probably, you know, 19 or 20 years old. Wow. Yeah. Going back to Piper and your entrepreneurial experience there, um, what are your plans for the future of Piper if you don't mind sharing some of that? Sure. Um, I don't want to be in the business forever of being an agent for others. Um, back to the idea that you would like sell advertising against your podcast or be an influencer and get paid by the tea company to post a photo. That's actually a fundamentally bad uh, trade or, or gamble for most people. And the reason for that is everyone who's willing to advertise, whether it's Squarespace on Tim Ferriss's podcast or um, the cash app on pardon my take or the fit tea on all the Instagram models, they're all doing that because it works. Like they pay a certain amount for that post or that podcast. And then their data backs up that more money comes in because of that. And yes, there's some degree like the old trope. I know half of my marketing budget is being spent incorrectly. I just don't know which half. Um, so, so like it's not a perfect science in that regard. But all of these influencers, all these characters are fundamentally making a trade of here's all the attention I've accrued, here's the audience that I've gained, and on the other side, here, um, you know, here, give me some money so that you can have access to that. And you see that reflected in large media organizations like the New York Times and the Washington Post and these other um, media organizations that are now relying upon subscribers paying as opposed to advertisers. Um, but you also see it in you know, I see fitness uh, and, and other models on Instagram that now have their own clothing line. And it's, uh, you know, there's some firm, Kylie Jenner is the perfect example of it. She white labels the makeup that she sells. Their, or, their whole organization for Kylie Cosmetics is less than 30 people because they have a manufacturer and another firm that they subcontract the actual creation of the makeup. All they focus on is once again, like I said at the beginning, the marketing of the product. It's so core to what you do. And because of that accumulated demand that they've generated, they get to make a healthy, healthy margin on the white labeled cosmetics, mark it up because it has Kylie Cosmetics on it, and now she's a billionaire, a self-made billionaire. My hands, my hands <laughs> are making quotations right now. But yes, you know, that's that's the direction. That's the direction that we want to go. We're building an audience. We're building uh, people. You know, the Going Deep Summit's a perfect example. We sell tickets to the summit. We also have sponsors, but we sell tickets. We are getting the dollars directly from the audience that we've cultivated. We're not pitching someone else's event on our platform. We're pitching our own event. We're pitching our own services on our podcast, on our YouTube, on our LinkedIn. We're pitching. We're gonna. We're gonna have more and more products and services down the line. We're going to have our own co-working space. We're going to have our own coffee shop. We're going to have all these sub-brands so that if you followed along, if you've, if you've been listening to 
Aaron's podcast from day one and follow the vlog and, you know, participate in our community over the next 10 years, maybe you don't want to come to Pittsburgh and attend the summit. Maybe you don't have a need or don't desire for the services that Piper offers. Maybe the co-working space isn't a place that you want to be. But shucks, now that there's piping hot coffee that comes in these little bags that are auto-delivered uh, to my house every every time I run out of coffee, shucks, that sounds delicious. I'd love to support Aaron and Hannah and the Piper team through buying my coffee from them. And so there's all these kind of like countless examples of when you accumulate the attention, when you have that marketing skill set, that tool belt that you can then leverage that into countless other verticals. And that is the game plan with Piper. That's that's, an, that's a really great idea. I, I would totally buy your coffee. Um, so, <laughs> We've so, got one. Uh, so awesome. So for uh, like for people that are looking, I, and I guess you basically just answered, you, you're tending to do that, by the way. You're tending to answer my questions before I get to them. Uh, so I'm trying to uh, reiterate Boom. some of these. <laughs> but uh, for the people that are looking to get into vlogs, uh, podcasts, or et cetera, or any, create value for through those mediums and begin documenting their life, um, what is the best advice you can give them to allow them to leverage their work to the fullest? I think that there's a couple of things you have to do. You have to forgive yourself right off the bat because the stuff that you're going to do at first is going to be atrocious, especially if you have no technical talent. Like the lighting is going to be wrong. You're not going to understand where to position the camera. You're going to hate how it looks. You're going to hate how it sounds. And you just need to forgive yourself. And I honestly think it's okay if you shoot three or seven vlogs that never see the light of day. But at some point, you have to press publish. And before you can do that, you have to forgive yourself for it not being up to the standard that you might have. And you also have to forgive yourself if you think it's going to do really well and it completely uh, falls flat. Both of those things are required before you take any action. After that, the thing that you have to keep in mind is that the long-term strategy that works the best is to be honest. You can go to our YouTube. Literally, the trailer for the YouTube channel is Hannah and I being like, hey, we're starting a company. We don't know how it's going to go, but we'll be documenting it here. Like we're not flexing. We're not like, oh, check us out. Here's our Maybach. Here's our gold watch. We're, you know, hot shit. Like <laughs> there, there's zero flex in that at all. The the video quality is atrocious. The audio is terrible. We should probably update that that trailer the more I talk about it. <laughs> we're probably losing people, but it's it's honest. It's so honest and throughout the entirety of the process like that's one of the compliments that i get the most when i'm around pittsburgh with this audience and this network that we've built up it's like i like the way you go about your business i like the way you do what you do and it's it's kind of unspecific when people say that but what they're really speaking to is that authenticity and the authenticity isn't always necessarily pretty um you know there's videos that are up that like i have a big old pimple right between my eyebrows it's not becoming but it is me and it is precisely the person that i am at that point in time and the other aspect of it is you have to be patient like you know we I don't, I genuinely, like, you have to believe me when I say this, like, people are like, oh, you get, you should do a celebration when you get, like, a 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel. We've hit none of those yet, and yet, I like, it doesn't bother me at all. That bothers me. That would bother me if, like, we were optimizing for selling our advertising against a big audience. If that, if the whole goal was just to get a big audience so that we could sell it against other people, then I would have a problem. But I can see, beyond anecdotally, very tangibly, our brand growing rapidly within the communities that matter to us. The inbound business opportunity, the quantity of inbound business that comes to us growing rapidly, and we've only been in business for less than a year and a half. And those are the signals that matter. And those are all absolutely, without a doubt, increasing uh, along with our skill sets. And those are the things to optimize for. The 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 views and the the vanity stuff, that'll come. Maybe, maybe it won't, but like it seems like it's going to come if we just stay patient. But it is those things that you should be focused on optimizing for. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, so this is gonna be a lightning round here. I'm, we're gonna wrap it up pretty soon. Uh, what's one personal habit that you can attribute to your growth as a person? One personal habit, uh, reading more than most people. So how often do you read? 
Um, it's not so much a frequency, but like, I think I, I have all my books that I've read documented from the last three years on my, on uh, going deep with Aaron.com slash books. And it's like, you know, over 30 books each year. Oh, wow. <laughs> so what is one book you would recommend to the audience? Um, if you're a regular reader, you should read anti-fragile, but that's a tough read. If you are not a regular reader and you're looking for something to get started, that's kind of like fun, interesting, but you'll learn something, um, go in the direction of biographies of people you admire. Um, it's, it'll be relevant. It'll be fascinating. You'll learn something, but all the most effective, successful people, um, you know, had to work very hard, had to be strategic. You'll, you'll pick things up. One of my favorite books there uh, is called The Fish That Ate the Whale. And it's about uh, the, the reason that the, the term Banana Republic means anything to you, not the clothing company, but like the um, exploitation of certain nations in Central America where large uh, fruit companies kind of uh, corrupted the government for their means is because of Samuel Zamuri and he's the subject of the book and he went from an extremely extremely poor Jewish boy to one of the wealthiest men in America and played a crucial role in founding the nation of Israel um, which I understand can be like a political issue but just to speak to his power influence and wealth that he accumulated. That sounds fascinating. I'm going to have to check that out. And to listeners, I'll leave those in the show notes. Uh, two more questions. What is the worst advice you've ever been given? Anything associated with not taking risks. Love it. And what's the best advice you've ever been given? Stay patient, play the long game. And surround yourself. I'm sorry, one more. And surround yourself with A players. That's actually the best. If you have A players in your corner as allies, as partners, as colleagues, you will win. Love it. Yeah, I, I totally resonate with uh, you're the average of the five people you hang around the most and having the people there um, to fuel you in the direction of your goals is highly important. Uh, and wrapping it up here, if you have any parting advice on the flip side, what's the parting advice that you would have for the listeners out there that are looking to start their entrepreneurial journey or maybe they're already on it um, and they're just looking for the next step to take? Uh, if you have any parting advice, what would that be? So I tried to do this and kind of failed, but it still was really important. Optimize for getting around the highest performers. My chart, my, my, my kind of like progression chart into running my own business and like I said, having these inbound leads and all these like incredibly humbling accomplishments was the work that I put in with the podcast, but it's also that I went from a conservative, boring financial services institution to a job at a startup where the leadership wasn't great, but at least I was in a startup environment, to being the right-hand man for a really high-functioning entrepreneur named Nathan Latka. And when you chart that course, the amount that I learned from Nathan with more limited access than any of the other jobs, despite having more limited access to Nathan than I had to any previous boss, I learned more. Um, you should always optimize for getting around A players, not just under you, but above you, because you will much more quickly, more quickly than reading books, learn how to operate, which is the whole key. Well, on that note, Aaron, thank you for your time and sharing your story with the Thriving United community. You're definitely an inspiration, and I can't wait to follow you as you continue on your journey. It's been a pleasure, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you for the invitation to be here. What is up, Thrivers? I just want to say thanks again for listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music, please rate and review. That'll help the show rank. If you're listening on the website, please leave a comment or join the forum. Join the discussion. I'd love to hear about your stories, your journeys, the adversity you're going through, and how you're ultimately thriving. I just want to say again and reiterate just a little bit of the conversation we had. I really enjoyed talking to Aaron. If you want to reach out to him, he'd be happy to talk to you. He's a brilliant individual with um, just wanting to help others grow. If you're starting your own business, he is a great person to uh, help you document your growth as a business. Um, he would be more than happy to work with you. So reach out to him um, and look into the summit. The summit's a really awesome event. Going Deep Summit is just an incredible networking event, also an inspiring event. Um, I am looking forward to attending the next one. With that said, if you have any more feedback for me, um, what I'm doing good, what I might not be doing so good at, let me know. Um, I want to continue to improve and grow. If there are episode ideas that you have that you would like 
for me to go over different topics, different people that you would love for me to interview with and undercover the juicy details with, let me know. Uh, otherwise, I'm just going to continue to do what I find interesting. And that's cool too. If you find it interesting, just let me know. Um, again, I'm sorry for the audio quality in this episode. I was recording in a different location while I was traveling, uh, but now I'm back in my home studio. Um, but with that said, uh, I just want you to get out there. Um, if you are ready to start a business, if you're ready to start a freelancing career, I invite you to build something bigger than yourself. And how do you do that? How do you create valuable content? You ask questions. You get to know your potential customer. And you learn from the pain points of others. That's where it all starts is the pain of others. So what's your pain? What are the pains of others around you that are feeling? And how can you monetize your skill set to help equip you um, and equip others with a valuable solution that cures their pain points? That's all that it takes. That's the intersection. That's where you got to find it. Um, With that said, keep grinding, keep growing, let's thrive.